0: Okay, so in today's Daily Cyber, I'm going to be talking to Scott Scholler. I've got two of his books here. You see, uh, Cybersecurity is Everyone's Business and his previous book, Hacked Again, uh, a great read. I recommend everyone grab this book. You can see it right here. Uh, Something I started off with and it's a book for everyone. So this podcast is going to be a little bit longer. A lot of great detail, a lot of information from a cybersecurity expert. I highly recommend you grab a coffee, grab a tea, grab some water, sit down and enjoy because this is going to be a great podcast to learn a lot of information about cybersecurity. So let's hack at it. Hi, Scott. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. I've read both your books, a lot of information. And let me just say from a personal standpoint, these are resources. These are actually things that I can see myself going back time and time again to review and to read just because the value of information from just kind of basic introduction of what you went through to what business like companies need to know. So thank you so much for writing these.
1: Oh, no problem. I'm glad you enjoyed them. And and hopefully it is a good resource. I, I tried in both of them too to, have a rich glossary in the back, because a lot of the terms in the world of cyber, there are a lot of acronyms that can get a little people, a little uncomfortable, but hopefully I can simplify it with the, with the, the glossary in there and, and share some stories of personal experiences throughout uh, the book that people can relate to and hopefully uh, allow them to make some changes to improve their, their cyber stance.
0: Oh, for sure. And like I said, these books are, are a great resource, you know, just the the general public, you know, hacked again, right? What a great book, like the general public. If you use technology, just put it that way. This is a book you need to read. You ha- need to have on your shelf as a resource just to review things because the stories that you went through and hacked again was just amazing. Kind of hit home for me too. So one question I want to start out with just to kind of get, get the premise, I mean, what got you involved in cybersecurity? Like where'd you start?
1: I think when I reflect back, the company here I've worked at all my life, Berkeley Viratronic Systems, we're a 48-year-old privately held company in Central New Jersey, right outside New York City, and we designed unique solutions. And it started back in the days, in about the mid '80s or so, really wireless test equipment, which was used extensively to build out the wireless networks as we know them today. So we were the pioneers that developed test transmitters, receivers and signal propagation, the maps that we often see that the carriers make to understand how well signals are propagating and reflecting so our mobile phones will work. We still do that today as we migrate from the the fourth generation LTE networks to the the exciting times of 5G that's coming around the corner. But in the process of developing a lot of these tools, we started to uh, experience and see a lot of the vulnerabilities and how cyber criminals will try to exploit uh, these vulnerabilities and they're using wireless often as a conduit to hack into computer networks often, especially okay. with Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is one of the, the hottest areas because there's a lot of free tools out there that hackers can use and they can, uh, you know, take advantage of this just to get into our networks and compromise our personal information. So that really, I think, helped me probably a little more than 10 years ago, see clearly that the future is uh, cybersecurity and having focused hardware and software solutions that will help people keep safe. And that's really fundamentally what our our business is doing, providing these niche solutions. And, And we work very closely with law enforcement and different uh, agencies within the DOD to help provide these tools and training and techniques to combat and fight against cyber criminals. And, and of course, in the process of doing all this, you naturally provide education, you share tips, and that ends up putting a target on my back. And that's basically what it did, which really led to that first book, uh, the story of Hacked Again. Uh, the bad guys start seeing you share things that keep people safe. They don't like that. So they start to make your life miserable and and that's exactly what they did there. And I, and I kind of detail it in the beginning, um, you know, how my credit card and debit card were compromised and Twitter was compromised, repeated DDoS attacks. So our online store couldn't um, receive any revenue. And then finally our checking account uh, we had $65,000 taken out of it. I got the wake up call and I said, "Geesh, th- this is really real and I got to do something here and change things. Even though we're in security, I thought we were secure, but I learned so much in the process. And that's what I try to share through the story there of Hacked Again, as well as, as the second book. So people can read it and hopefully it resonates with them and they can make changes that are not too technical or too complex, but right. it keeps them safe from a cyber standpoint.
0: Now, when in that book, like in Hacked Again, when you talked about like just wake up in the morning, going to your, co- you know, to the company, looking at that and you thought payroll was coming out and you're like, what, hold on, payroll wasn't this day. And you're kind of like, all this money's gone. I think that's a common thing when people get compromised is that the, the misbelief, no, this couldn't happen. No, this is not real. What was that for you? What was that experience? Because I, I think a lot of people need to know the psychological aspect, not just the technical, of how you actually feel when you get compromised.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what happens at first is you, you are truly in disbelief. And I think, I, I kept second guessing myself, I'm, it must be the payroll, maybe it's something else, maybe I read it wrong, let me go back to it. Should I call the bank, do I call the police, do I call the FBI? Your head starts to spin and you really aren't sure exactly clearly what happened, how it could have happened, Did I make a mistake? Is it an insider threat, somebody inside my company that confiscated the money? So your your mind is spinning in so many different ways. Um, The good news I think is, I caught it immediately when it happened. So I always caution people, even though it's a pain, it's so important to regularly check your account status, especially credit card, your checking account, you see any suspicious activity, don't say, let me go back later or next week or I'll investigate it. I don't have time now. Immediately drop everything else you're doing and focus on that problem until you can solve it. Because oftentimes it's a hacker is, is, is teasing and they're trying to see, Hey, is this credit card, a fresh stolen one. Let me run a small transaction of a five cents, 10 cents to see if it works. If it does, then they're going to want a shopping spree. So little things like that I've learned quickly, don't put it off. Don't procrastinate because little things lead to a lot bigger problem. And I I tell you what, going through the mess I went through, the number of letters, the number of phone calls, um, the sleepless nights, it is a very stressful thing. It's almost, I would equate it like losing a loved one. You go through all the different emotions, the roller coaster of it. When you get hacked and hacked again, and, and to be honest with you, it hasn't stopped. It continues to happen to me these these constant scams. Um, the good news is, I know how to reinforce things here. I know how to um, shred documents, better encryption, better password management. All the things that I try to preach to people is what I'm practicing. So right. it helps me to stay safe. But man, what a roller coaster of emotions! To your point there. So I tell people a little bit of time to take some common sense steps to keep yourself safe from cyber thieves goes a long way. So you don't have a lot of headaches and nightmares.
0: Right. So one of the things I want to add to that, which I mean, you've, you brought up a really great point is the actual the feeling of it. And you know, you kind of go through these kind of misbeliefs like, oh, is it that is it this is it is it counts? Is it you know, someone actually internally, I think the one thing that people don't get, well, who haven't been compromised. It's this unknown entity. It's not like someone broke into your house or your, your business and you can see the windows broken and mm-hmm. you can't see it physically. It's not tangible. And a lot of people can't grasp that it just happened until, like you said, you start going through the steps. So that's great. Like, and like I said, with, with hacked again, you go through talking about that and how you kind of dealt with it and, and all that process. So again, it's such a great reading, such a great resource for people to kind of just get an idea of a business or someone's been in the industry and what you had to deal with and the challenges you went through and then, you know, process that you went through. Now through hacked again, is there like three steps that you give people if they've ever got compromised, what to do immediately?
1: Well, I get, I honestly get calls all the time and, and sometimes it's a little embarrassing and I share some of them in, in, in both books and some are brand new ones. I'll share in future books um, my grandfather's been compromised multiple times. I got a call the other night from my father. Uh, I got a call last week from my aunt. So, so constantly relatives, friends, coworkers, acquaintances are calling me, be it, Hey, I, I think this is ransomware. What do I do? Or I was using Apple pay and I got this strange call. Should I not have given them my account information or uh, my iCloud account was hacked? How do I know if it was or what, you know, all right. these type of things. So constantly I'm bombarded with things like that, as well as people targeting myself. So, I'm always trying to to sort through it, say what's real, what's fake, how do I respond and share some practical tips. Usually, it always goes back to um, the human element. Again and again and again, I find that we tend to be creatures of habit, humans, and we trust people. Why we trust so much, I I don't know, I can't understand that, but even myself, I'm guilty of this. If you get a, a well-placed call and somebody's trying to socially engineer you out of information, I've had this happen many times, and I often try to record the call so I can listen to them afterwards and just analyze it. If they're, if they're really good at it, they can garnish little bits and pieces of information from us just by sharing the little bit that they've already compromised. Maybe they pulled it from our Twitter account or our website or a couple Google searches, and they share those little bits and pieces, and they're really socially engineering. Uh, I always say it's like into a puzzle. They've got a couple of pieces. They're trying to fill in the blanks. So I always say whenever somebody's trying to ask you information, regardless of how authoritative they sound, uh, hey, I'm calling from your bank. I'm with the fraud department. You know, somebody may have compromised your card, Mr. Schober. I just want to verify a few things. Is this is the last four digits of your account. Is this the last four digits of your social security number? I would say, stop a second, let me get your phone number. What was your name again? Can I get an email address? Uh, When did this start asking them questions and quickly it's either game over and they hang the phone up if you know it's a scammer or or you notice the tone changes or whatever. So I think it's really important for people question everything. Even if it sounds like it's from your bank or a trusted individual, it's very important. Otherwise, you're gonna make a mistake. So that's probably tip number one that I always share. Um, now,
0: I want to add something to that that yeah, I learned, not. too, is, uh, and you can confirm if you're hearing this as well, is that now the hackers are actually starting to record the calls Yeah. right now. I don't know if you've heard that or there's something mm-hmm. on your side, but I've, I'm starting to hear now they're recording and they want to get you to say certain, wi- uh, certain words because yep. now they use that as a sound bite. So calling your service providers, be it, you know, your Internet, your phone, your hydro they actually now use your soundbite to confirm yes. If you said yes, they'll confirm yes. If you said your address or confirmed your address, they'll get you saying your address, You know, date of birth, social security number, social insurance number, depending if you're in the United States or Canada, right? So they'll get you saying all that information. And so what happens is the agent on the other side of the phone that they're calling doesn't know it's not you because it sounds like you because now, you know, that, guy that socially engineered that you know called you recorded that information from a call that they got from you and I know uh a client of mine uh they actually got their whole family got compromised by a server and then the hacker got into the service provider took over their services took over their their internet their phone their tv uh cloned their cell phone because now they canceled the phone got transferred to another phone and completely took over and it was from a phone call that they recorded.
1: Yeah. yeah and it, just like you said there, a lot of times they're just looking for some type of affirmation uh, and they'll say something as crazy. Mr. Schober, can, can you hear me? And if I say, yes, I can hear you. They got it. right? And and it's that easy to do anything. Identity theft, they're trying to hack into your account, take out credit in your name, all these little bits and pieces they can use against you. So right. be very leery of it. And, and I think too, with, um, between the robo calls and the call spoofing. I mean, I have an app on my phone, I've done a bunch of interviews and I've tried it. And I tell you what, when you try to spoof somebody by just changing the number, and I did it more for fun and testing, it works. People at the other end that receive the call or receive a text and it's spoofed, they believe it because they look at their phone and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm part of this organization or this group or I know who this is from. Suddenly they believe everything that follows. So. We have to be careful. Don't trust what you see on your phone, what you get in a text, what you get in an email, what somebody says. Question everything.
0: Especially one of those scams, and we've all heard them, where someone's away and they need money right away. Or they're, they're in a medical emergency. I always tell people, if they ever come into that situation, don't answer. Call the person directly. And then find out what, what's the scenario. like. See if they're okay. Or call a family member that knows. If they're, they actually are away, call a family member that knows and says, look, I got a call from John Doe. You know, they say it's in the hospital. Have you heard anything? If you do, let me know. Don't automatically assume. And I think the one thing talking about psychology, I think the challenge is, is that a lot of times they get you in a fear state or an emotional state and logic goes out the door because now you're emotional. right? We say a lot with the CRA scam right when they tell you oh my god there's going to be a warrant out for your arrest you know we're going to seize your property we're going to seize this you know we're going to seize your bank account and all that and people go oh no okay okay how do how do i fix this versus what what do you mean there's a warrant out for my arrest yeah. now since the education's gone out there are a lot of videos a lot of education and more and more people are now going uh uh-uh, this is a scam but when it first happened i know for cra here I think it was, I was talking to an RCMP officer. It was like $1.5 million was lost in 24 hours. Wow.
1: That's right? scary. Yeah.
0: And you just look at just because people didn't know that CRA didn't have a detective division, right? Internally, the police are the police. CRA is the you know, a government agency. They didn't know it was disconnected. So as soon as they heard it, they got in a fear state and they took action. Yeah. So it's That's pretty so scary.
1: Yeah, and it go- I think it goes back to what we were talking about before that, that that people are are a little too trusting. If you do certain things, even and it's like socially engineering. You want to get into a building or something else. If you talk fast, if you kind of ignore people, you 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 know you talk the talk, you walk the walk, you look like you blend in. People don't question. Uh, people don't stop you. And I've tried it a couple of times just as a test. They'll stop 10, 20 people getting into a building. I'll walk by almost like I'm a little disgusted and don't have time for them. You're looking at a device or whatever. And you say, yeah, I'm fine. You walk right through security. So that same type of mentality and things can happen when hackers realize they're trying to breach into a company and maybe they want to get through the receptionist. And a common scheme I always hear about is they'll call the front desk and maybe it's a law firm and they'll say, Hey, uh, you know, I, I've got an important proposal for Mr. Smith. I got to get it right over, but the email's not working, but I got to get it to him quickly because it's a huge job for you guys. All I need is your Wi-Fi password so I could send this through email. And the receptionist kind of frantically goes, Ooh, I don't want him to be upset. Let me get that. Hold on a second. Right. Shares the password, not even making the association that sending an email and, and needing the Wi-Fi Wi-Fi passwords, the company had nothing to do with one another, but the hacker just fooled them. Right. And, That's it, it's that easy to get in, get on the network, plant some malware, work laterally, start compromising things, collecting, stealing personal information. So hackers know how to talk fast and clever and use the right buzzwords in the industry. They do their homework and they have time on their side and they're gonna use that against us. So again, stop, don't trust anyone, ask for their identification. Just like if somebody, a stranger knocked at your door and said, I wanna check your electric meter, what are you supposed to do? Right. Well, you want to make sure someone else is there, maybe check their identification, maybe make a phone call. We do that with physical security, but do we do the same thing in the world of cyber? We really should.
0: Right. And I bring up a point. I remember talking to a pen tester who did social engineering as one of the test. He said he would go and he would go have a smoke with a group of people, yeah. right? And ask him for a cigarette. And, oh, yeah, I'm just starting out here. You know, it's my first day. I'm waiting for my badge. And then sure enough, you tailgate someone into the office, right? And he'd be in because they just didn't want to question, okay, well, I guess, you know, this guy is new, like, you know, and that was one way he said he could get in like 80 to 90% of the time, just go and ask someone for a smoke, that group of people Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, he's new to the company, you know, his first day, just kind of waiting for his badge and then just follow people in.
1: Yep. And people want to be helpful. You want to help the the new employee. You want to befriend them. You don't want to... Everybody knows that awkward feeling when you start out a company. So it's, it's a natural way to, to really do people and, and get in quickly.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, did you have number two? So we got number one. So number two, what would be number two strategy when you first got compromised?
1: Well, I, I hate to say this. I think passwords comes up with everything. I hate passwords. I'm sick and tired <laughs> of passwords. I think my eyes are bleeding talking about passwords over the past 10 years. I'm constantly updating passwords, strengthening passwords, and I use a combination of systems. And I share in the book there, there's no real secret. I have a, a black book for some of passwords. Uh, some of them I'm using, you know, the app Keychain, uh, mm-hmm. and some of them I'm using actually a password manager. So I, I use different techniques depending upon the level of um, need for the information, how secure it is, how personal it is, how protected I have to keep it. Uh, so my own little system that I use is great, but that doesn't work for everyone. Right. And what I find every, especially when I present, I typically will will pull the room and ask people, you know, who has a password that that's got part of their name in it, their birth date, their anniversary date, their pet's name and the hands start all going up one after the next. Do you reuse that password on multiple accounts? And And usually about 50% of the people sheepishly put their hands up. So, even though we're all sick and tired of it, there's no easy solution to password management. Um, and we have to kind of balance that security versus convenience factor. And that comes up again and again and again. So I try to share you know, tips with people and, and maybe it's, a, it's a, a phrase that they use and pull the first character off and alternate uppercase, lowercase and throw in a few symbols just to understand the importance of creating a strong password but then also understanding how easy it is to hack a weak password. Right. Sometimes when you draw that corollary and I can say, geez, your your, your your six character password that has your name in it or your dog's name could be hacked in you know 1.5 seconds, but I created here a simple to easy to remember uh, 12 character password, it's gonna take three years to hack with automated tools right now. That helps them see, wow, I guess it's important to create a long and strong password and not reuse again and again that password across multiple accounts. Right, yeah, I'm I think still struggling, and everybody's still banging their head against the wall because they fight me back. Right, um, but it's a common problem. And if you go back to just about every breach, as I dive into them, at some point in the breach, usually there was a weak password that was compromised, be it the sticky note on the computer. Uh, be it that they weren't using two-factor authentication, whatever the case may be, be it was socially engineered, they were sharing passwords. As you dig in, usually it's some type of password associated to every compromise. That's sad and that can be fixed. It's in our control.
0: True. And then one thing I want to add to that is that, you know, sometimes people have passwords and like you said, they change the last, like they have a number at the, at the end. So, this, you know, every 60 or 90 days, they change their password and they go from one to number two and number three and then number four because they want to remember the, the first, you know, 10, 10 characters, but they don't want to keep changing the password. So they'll just add a number and they'll just kind of uh, sequence the number one, two, three and go through, through that. Now, one thing I would say for, on my point is just be careful doing that because if it is, like you said, your anniversary, your kid's name, your dog, your favorite sports team, anything like that and you're doing that, then yeah, you know, a hacker can just play around and say, is it one, is it two, is it three? And then eventually, you know, he's only got nine numbers to go through or up to zero. So, I mean, from zero to nine, he can go through and he might be able to catch it. Right?
1: Yeah. And, and, and to your point, and I've done some, some little research on my own, some very secure sites I'm required every 90 days to change the password. So it's long, it's strong, it's secure. I have to do it because it's tied with government stuff. Um, But interestingly, I've, I've done some tests where I'll go back and put in my old password and it will say, you've already used this password. So what does that tell you? It tells you that they're storing some of the passwords from the past. So if you just toggle the last digit or two and that password database or that system's ever compromised, they're going to play around and try the very common techniques that hackers do just to your point, And they're going to get into your account. Right. So you, you got to create a unique password each time. I always say if it's really, really hard to remember, it's really, really hard to hack. Right. Um, and it just goes and it's a numbers game at the end of it. It's a mathematical equation. You could sit down and, and figure out how long is it going to take to hack? this particular password, and we'll talk passwords, till so we're probably blue in the face. Yet, if we look not to the distant future, the part that kind of scares me is we've got artificial intelligence and machine learning that's really coming to fruition now. That's going to change the world of passwords greatly, because passwords that are really long and strong now are going to be able to be figured out in no time. That's
0: we're and I think right now the future for passwords and, and something that I've been seeing is a true password, there's decentralized authentication. Yeah. So passwords along that line and more and more companies are looking at where it's biometrics, it's, you know, thumbprint, face recognition, especially with the smartphones, right? As we're starting to see right now, where now the passwords are not stored in a local database. They're actually now hashed onto the actual uh, smartphone. So what happens is now you have to try to compromise. You have to find out who that individual is. And now we have to compromise that individual specifically, which makes it a lot harder. Now, don't get me wrong, as you and I know, it's not impossible. If hackers have a lot of time, they'll do it. But now it just makes it harder that they don't get into the, you know, the keys of the city because they got into Active Directory or you know, LDAP or anything like that, and they've got the whole directory right there. Now it makes it a little bit harder.
1: Yeah. I, I do I do agree with that. And I tend to I, I love I'm, I'm a big Apple fan when i look at my phone and it unlocks like it just did there that to me is fabulous and then using apple pay and understanding the ecosystem and how everything's encrypted and one-time tokenized uh, transmission it's not sending my credit card information i think a lot of phone manufacturers are driving this push for security and improved security because everybody's glued to their phone Right. More and more, I can travel on business and I can rely on my phone to open up orders, to send a quote, shoot an email, text, do whatever. Oh, yeah. Make a phone call, too. Um, <laughs> I can do everything on my phone. It's great. It's convenient and it's high speed and it's reliable and the battery lasts a lot longer now. And it's by the way, it's got a great camera and you start to look at all the things you can do. It's your Swiss Army knife. So that's where the focus where more and more security is being put. But again, hackers realize people are migrating over to smartphones. So a lot of the newer hacks are targeting your smartphones. They're really analyzing where those vulnerabilities are and that's what they're gonna to try to do. So if we're not updating our iOS on our, our phone, um, if we're not careful how we use our phone and we're not locking our phone, and we're still, we gotta be careful what we're downloading and clicking on, they're still going to be vulnerable, just like our home computer, just like our laptop, just like our iPad. So we, again, have to think they're shifting their game. We have to shift our game and think that mobile phones are really going to be targeting in the next couple of years, way more than they are now.
0: So let's talk about that, which is actually a good point. So more, as we know, the evolution of the mobile smartphone, right? It's years and years ago, you had that brick of a phone. That's all you did. And you dial the phone and you had a pager, right? I mean you'd make the call, you received a call, and that's it. Now, like you said, literally, you could work from your phone at an airport and basically do 90% of your, your work while FaceTiming, while doing, you know, conference calling. I mean, you can do Zoom, like we're here, like you could do that on the phone, like everything is accessible on the phone. In your book, in the Cybersecurity is Everyone for Business, you talk about VPNs you know, and you talk about the importance of VPNs. So I'd love to hear, you know, your take on that, especially from the book standpoint. What would you recommend on a mobile device? And also being traveling, you know, VPN, what type of solution? I'd love to hear you kind of just talk about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's probably one standout point with a VPN, virtual private network, and, and really what that allows, I should say, is 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 any communication. It's It's encrypted. Um, and what you want and what's not always the case, and this is the caveat that I want to share, um, nobody knows what your, your viewing habits and your browsing habits are. Here's where the caution is. A lot of people hear VPN. I got to get it. They don't even know what the acronym stands for, and it's going to make my everything secure. The problem is a lot of the free VPNs that are out there, when you download them and start using them, what you're doing in the terms and conditions, what you're opting into and accepting is the ability to allow them to have access to content on your phone. And specifically what they're looking for and where they monetize and how they can give it away for free is your viewing habits. So everything that you type into your browser, you're allowing them to see what that is. And they in turn can monetize by selling that to third parties. Mm -hmm. That's where it's dangerous. So my suggestion to anybody, um, and I always hate to recommend a specific VPN over another, but I do recommend you use one, find one that is affordable, but more importantly, that is secure. So I had to do some research and find one for my computer, for my laptop, my tablet, my mobile device, that I actually had to pay some money to make sure that it's secure and that they're not selling my information and they're not throwing pop-ups and other things there. Otherwise, you're really defeating the purpose of trying to add this layer of security in there because as you add layers, it does make things a little bit less convenient. And again, I always say balance, security versus convenience. A VPN for somebody that is not technical at all can be, a little bit unnerving and they kind of say, ah, I don't know if I can do this. And what if it slows my phone down and updates and this, and that? it's worth it. I think you should do it and you should use a VPN, but find one that you gotta pay for. And there's some great review. PC Magazine's done some great reviews and there's a lot of other ones. I've written about a couple different ones and different blogs on my, on my website as well, scotchober.com. So do your homework, do your research, but pay for it. Don't ever accept one for free or I guarantee you're going to have nothing but problems.
0: Right. And and I totally agree with that when it comes to VPN. I know for myself, I just came back from Costa Rica there's a lot of hotspots that you'd go through, like if the airport or you're at a restaurant and if you don't have a VPN, you're potentially, you know, all your, your data is in plain text going through and you don't know if that, you know, the modem or that router that they have is capturing your data, they have a sniffer or anything along that line, you don't know that. And you don't know, you know, through the ISP that they're dealing with and the data they're capturing too. So as your day-to-day, I mean, most people now are working remote, they're traveling as they're working, they're, you know, ha- might be at Starbucks, you know, you know, doing some work, spreadsheets, whatever that may be, make sure you have a VPN. When you start to connect to the internet, Make sure you have a VPN and secure your connection. I even say this for people, even on your home network, use a VPN because the uh, internet service providers, ISPs, they're capturing your data as well. So if you do banking, if you have financial information, you have corporate information that you're working on, you're transferring to to work, and you're not VPNing and, and doing that, they potentially are looking at what you're researching, what you're doing, what you're transferring. So... You know, make sure you're, you're doing that. So it's great, great tips and great advice, Scott.
1: Yeah, and I always, it's just to add to that too, as you think about even your home Wi-Fi router, uh, a lot of us, depending upon where we get that pipe in from the broadband provider, maybe it's the cable company, maybe it's FiOS, maybe it's whoever. Um, a lot of times, again, when we sign up for our service, we agree that they can host a hotspot from our home. We don't realize that many people do. And and again, it depends on the company and the contract and things that you have. But again, if you're connected to your devices throughout the home, be it your smart TV, your smartphone, laptops, everything, guess what? That could be a big problem now because now you have other people outside of your home connected into that same wireless router and potentially could have access to your information. So yeah, to your point, use a good VPN. Uh, I'm going to throw out one other thing that a lot of people, when I, when I present, I bring this up. And again, it's, it's the deer in the headlights. I ask about who's familiar with what a keylogger is. And most people kind of go like this and they really don't know what a key logger is. When you describe it, um, they start to understand, okay, it, it could be malware that could be placed on your computer or again, your smartphone and every single keystroke that you make there, it's being recorded so you need a anti-key logger to actually encrypt each and every keystroke and that way it will allow you to keep secure in case there's malware that's been placed on your device nobody can be 100 percent certain that at some point or time they didn't click on something they shouldn't have or something got downloaded as you mentioned you went on the you know the free starbucks wi-fi hotspot because you ran out of data whatever the case may be you made a mistake and now they, they put something on there. So again, having a good anti-key logger is just good, good cyber hygiene, and I recommend it. It's maybe about 20 bucks. Some, some of the newer uh, malware antivirus software, um, it comes with it, sometimes it's a standalone package, but it's something that's worth uh, doing a little bit of research on and getting a good anti-key logger just to keep yourself safe. Because uh, if the hackers do get onto your device and they download anything, guess what? It's all encrypted. It's garbly booked. So there's nothing they can do with it. And that's really the point.
0: Right. That's, that's perfect. Good advice. Um, now, one thing you brought in the book, talking about kind of transferring data and going into that, you talk about, you know, your digital footprint and digital spring cleaning. And we, we talk about you know, people, you know, on the mobile devices kind of going through transferring data, being on social networks, doing all that. It was really kind of cool to hear your insight about the digital footprint and what people are doing, and the education on on the business side of it, and just what people are doing. Talk to me a little bit about what people should be looking at when it comes to their digital footprint, and then cleaning up, you know, what they have out online.
1: Yeah, great point. Uh, I look at again. We talked earlier about our smartphone and how we're we're also tied to it. It's glued to our hip, basically, and and nowadays our smartphone. We think about uh, bring your own device to work and and the policies that are within corporations usually companies will allow you to bring your device into work oftentimes they'll allow you to connect into the the company's wi-fi so what does that mean your personal and your business life start to mix if you start downloading things that you shouldn't have uh, malware ransomware this and that and now you bring it into your company you could have a serious serious problem so I think it's important for people to realize that and think about it before they just make an assumption. Well, it's my personal device, it should be safe. Because now it might be personal information, it might be intellectual property, it might be company secrets that could be um, compromised. And and as as I mentioned, they're ransomware. That's a very common thing. People will innocently go on the internet, click on the wrong thing, click on a phishing attack and an email, and now suddenly this ransomware is downloaded, encrypts everything, and now companies or municipalities or universities or hospitals are in a really tough situation. And, and people are saying, well, I'll, I'll look at, I got cyber security insurance, I'll just go to them. That doesn't always make the, the problem go away. So it really depends upon the strain of ransomware, um, How did you act? How quick did you act? So there's so many more variables as you start to unpeel the onion. So -hmm. I think it's important just to to back up and analyze the bigger picture when we think about uh, a mobile device and bringing it into our actual company and how we interact with the computer networks there Um, and having a policy in place for business owners. Do you have a written policy about bring your own device to work? Do you have a policy? Is it okay for somebody to to walk in and plug an access point in, to, to, to host their own Wi-Fi network and connect into your company's network. So it, unless you work out these things, it could be complicated. And obviously, the larger the company, the harder it is to maintain and monitor all these things, to sniff out when employees put in a rogue device and uh, and what they're really trying to do. They may not necessarily be trying to steal information from the company but oftentimes they just want to be able to get on the internet and check their Facebook or connect with their phone so they could do a quick look on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the case may be. But finding that balance and, and uh, understanding what the do's and don'ts are within an organization I think is really paramount um, because that's what target, tar, tar, targeting is, is happening from the hackers. They realize that people are all interconnecting business and pleasure with their smart devices.
0: Right. And I think one thing to add to that is that, you know, the challenge companies are having is the personal data versus the company data, right? People might have, you know, personal emails like maybe Gmail or Hotmail or anything along, along that line. But now they're bringing that into the corporate environment where they have exchange, right? You know, office 365 and they have their, their company email. So now they have this one device that has both data, personal data and business data on that device. Well, now, how do you protect that, right? And, and you, like you're talking about well, even with the applications you're looking at, they have some corporate applications on there, and they have some personal applications. They have maybe Facebook and Twitter and, you know, uh, TikTok and YouTube, and they're watching all this stuff. But in the corporate policy is, no, you can't access that. You can't access social sites. Now, what can you do? So I think it's it's a real challenge for cybersecurity you know, CISOs and working right out to write that policy of, you know, bring your own device and what is yours and what is the company's.
1: Yeah. And I think even, even to bring it to the personal level, because again, when we think about, Oh, this, this is my mobile device that you associate to something personal, even though you use it primarily for business, perhaps, what does that mean? You're going to probably download games and you're gonna have other things on there what I always share with people to the point of, of about your digital footprint. And a lot of times we don't realize it is um, how many things we download our phone. We might have, you know, 128, 256 gigabytes. So we can download tons and tons of apps. And we just say, yeah, you know, I got the room on there. It's not a big deal. Um, the, the problem is what's going on in the background. A lot of these apps have been proven to be collecting information, collecting Uh, latitude, longitude, time, where we were, geocoding what we're doing, uh, recording where we're we're browsing. So if all this information, in a sense, our mobile phone has become a surveillance device. Mm -hmm. So if you're not using an app in the past month, I usually say now, if you haven't touched it or used it, get rid of it. It's not worth keeping on there. Just, just what we sign away, what we opt into under the terms and conditions. On the average mobile phone, the average smartphone user in the United States, it would take you three months to read all of the terms and conditions that you agreed to for those apps that you download. What does that tell you? Nobody in their right mind actually spent three months of their time reading all of the stuff that they opted into.
0: Well, so let's, there... let's, put a, let's, let's put a point that no one really understands it. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah, And it's written in like this legalese terms and it's so small the font. You're scrolling through what happens when you want to download, a, you know, I have candy crush. I like that. <laughs> you're excited. Once it downloads, you're scrolling through, except, accept, accept, because you want to play your game. You're not thinking about security. So again, stop, balance it out and say, if I haven't used it recently, get rid of it. And the other thing is, is a lot of things that we, we opt into we give them permissions and they give you choices more and more with the new laws that are coming out especially through through europe they're pushing that gdrp um what's happening is you have a choice you know will this app allow me to you know can i use your contacts can i access your camera can i access your microphone no 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 say no as much as you can don't allow access when you download these apps to everything under the sun. And, and, and if you do, what's gonna happen? You're opening the door up for problems. So your best bet, do a little digital footprint, spring cleaning, let's call it, and get rid of those apps that you're not actively using. The other thing I tell people to do is, is shut off your Wi-Fi and shut off your Bluetooth when you're not using it actively. Yeah, it's not as convenient, but again, are we gonna trade security for convenience? Maybe we have headphones, maybe we sync to our car, whatever the case may be. But the more that you keep that shut off, the better chance you have to keep your device secure. There's a lot of tools out there. Um, We develop a lot of tools to counter these tools that are used for hacking in the world of Bluetooth, in the world of Wi-Fi. And I can assure you it's extremely easy these days for a hacker that has no money, to watch a few YouTube videos, get educated, go down to the dark web, download some of these hacking tools and start to use them to compromise your mobile devices. So don't even give them an open door there. Shut off your Wi-Fi, shut off your Bluetooth, make sure you have a good screen lock on your phone in case you physically misplace it or somebody steals it from your, 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 your desk or your pocketbook or wherever else. So take those basic security precautions and it will improve your security posture tenfold.
0: One thing I wanted to add was you're talking about like the applications and in you know the things that pop up. Yeah. I recommend as a user base, read what's popping up. Don't just click yes, 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 because you want to get to the game or yeah. you you want to get this app. Read actually what's coming up. I've had too many people go, something popped up and they clicked yes and they go, and they go, So what was that? And they go, I don't know. I just clicked yes. Well, because I wanted to get it installed. Yeah. You know, it can't be anything that's going to harm me. But like you said, you know, Candy Crush, why does it need access to your contacts or your camera or your, your audio? Well, I don't know. So then why did you click yes? Well, did it? Is that what it said? Well, how do you know, right? Yeah. So I think one of the things that I recommend as a, an, another tip is if you're installing an application, read what pops up. Take your time. Yes, I know it's it's a little inconvenient, but read what's coming up so that you do what Scott says is that you click on the know as much as you can and ask questions, like kind of go, why does this app need access to my contacts? Why does this app need access to my, my audio? Why does this app need access to my phone? Why does this app need access to another app that it doesn't, it shouldn't have, right?
1: Yeah, yeah Start
0: asking those questions, right? Because I see too many people, and this is what we see as, as cybersecurity professionals, is so many people are so busy right i don't have time for this i i just need to do it. i i don't need this past long password i need to log in i have so much work to do i don't need to down i need the terms of uh, terms of service i don't need to do that i just need to go so our recommendation i think scott would agree is just take your time right don't yeah. rush through things
1: yeah that's true when you rush you're going to make a poor decision you're going to make as we talked earlier an emotional decision you'll make a mistake i had one a couple of weeks ago using apple airbook and uh, i try my best to obviously keep it very secure i was doing some research i have no idea how because i don't remember clicking on anything i shouldn't have clicked on somehow some malware got on there it it messed up all of my wi-fi settings it changed changed the proxy and this and that i've, I've never went in there and changed it myself and every time that i would access it uh you know do a search it would automatically reroute me to a yahoo search page and pull up strange things. It took me about three hours working with Apple to identify the specific malware and get it cleaned off my computer. Um, it was tough. I mean, I've had other things in the past, but usually I can resolve it myself. This one I could not resolve, and it was very frustrating. Um, but, but you got to be careful what you're looking at when you're doing research if you're surfing the web as many people do and aimlessly going site to site you may actually hover over something and click on something you shouldn't have and you don't even think about it because you're distracted you're listening to music whatever the case may be one thing i always recommend too is consider using some other types of browsers like DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo encrypts all the data they don't sell your data and they don't push pop-ups in front of you that you may accidentally click on hover over and cause a problem. Um, and again, the, the IP traffic's bounced around, so nobody knows where you're actually performing that search from, which is actually helpful. So, you know, it's free. It, is it as nice as Google? Is it as fast as Google? Probably not, you'll find in a couple different ways, but it's really nice, it works well. So there's a lot of free stuff out there that does work well. Um, And you just got to give it a chance to get used to it. So I always encourage people consider that at least Um, otherwise your, your your digital footprints when you're going on regular search engines uh, and the average thing that you type in your search bar, I think is sold to 23 different companies. Wow. What does that tell you? If you're searching for kayaks today, 23 companies paid, you know, maybe it's a fraction of a penny to know that, you know, at this IP address, this user, was searching for this. So they see your other devices, they're going to constantly push it up on, on your, you know, your Facebook, your this, your that, and until you eventually give in and, and buy something.
0: Well, the other thing to add to that is the cookies, right? Yeah. You know, the stored cookies when when you're surfing, all of a sudden, yeah, like you said, maybe you're, you're looking for a vacation. Now you go on Facebook and all you see on the ads are vac- uh, vacations about hotels and Airbnb and, you know, resorts you can go and tours you can go. I'm wondering, like, why is this? But you, like you said, all this information is being captured as you're going through your day-to-day of searching and all that. And what they're trying to do is market to you. Same thing like when you look at Amazon. When you go on Amazon, you're looking at things to buy. And now you see recommended things like, you know, shoes, clothes, IT stuff, whatever that may be.
1: Yeah. And, and what I always tell people, a lot of people are a little bit disbelief when you tell them that. And I always kind of give them a high-level understanding of what metadata is data about data so it it makes a corollary in association to you and more importantly your like habits your views what you hover over what you're thinking about buying what school you're going to go to what's your favorite soda what clothes you like all those different things associated to you when they when a company has that metadata such as facebook and a lot of these other analytical companies they could sell that or they could use that to target you and you don't even realize it because it's subtle, it's done in the background and it keeps popping up. And some people consciously see it, but most people don't. And, and that's very effective from a, from a sales and marketing side for them to use that data. What you can do is a test. And what I've done, I encourage a few people to do this and I've done it myself, is pick something that you is very random or abstract that you don't talk about, you don't think about, you're never going to buy. It could be the strangest thing. It could be a you know, a lemon squeezer mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And type that into a browser and then carefully observe where else you see things associated to that uh, on, on your mobile device, on your laptop, a week later when you're at your, on your computer at work and just jot down every time you see it. And you'll be amazed how many times that the marketers are going after you just because that simple search that you typed in a single time.
0: Well, for sure, exactly. I mean, that's why you just kind of have to be mindful of protecting, you know, your your data and, and the information that you're searching for. Yeah, definitely. Now, one thing I wanted to add, uh, and this is great to talk about when you talk about the, your digital footprint and your, your digital springs uh, cleaning, is a lot of people don't know that the developers that work on these applications sometimes is not that actual company. They have, you know, outsourced, other developers to write certain sections of the code for that application. Uh, I worked with a company, uh, it was reselling for uh, source defense and we did audits on people's websites and their third party, you know, plugins and things like that. And you would see that it was four layers deep of from where the actual code was to who actually wrote that section of code or that plugin. And there's no different from the apps that you download from the app store, you know, for your iPhone or, you know, you're doing it for Android. Same thing is that there's sections, there could be sections of that code is written by a third party that's now not secure. Maybe there's a backdoor in it, whatever that may be, but now it's on your phone, right? Like you said, and now you have it and it's, it's able to, you know, they have an access point where they can get into your phone, right? And through multiple phones, millions of phones, if it's downloaded millions of times, and they can collect all the data or information that they, they need
1: yeah that's so, scary and it's done with hundreds and hundreds of companies I mean I, I pick on Facebook often because they're an easy target but uh, a lot of the apis there that they will provide their third parties so they can develop different modules even um, the, the amount of information that that can collect without your knowledge is just blows my mind away yet it, it constantly happens and what do we as consumers do again we're we're opting into it, we're saying it's okay. What's the big deal if they look at my timeline? Or what's the big deal if they look at some of my contacts? It is a big deal. Right. It is dangerous because it's giving them layers and layers of personal information and now suddenly your digital footprint is out there. And, and the scary part is it's not easy to make it go away. A lot of people think, ah, whatever, it'll be gone. No, it, it's permanent no, there's not one server that keeps your information and you hit a delete button and it's gone. The data is replicated and there's many backup servers and backup in systems on different parts of the world for most of these large tech companies. So just because we think it's gone for the moment, it's, it's got some history there and it's gonna stay there. So we gotta be careful what we say, what we like, what we search, what we watch on the internet because there's a level of permanence there. And it could come back to be used against us if we're applying for a job or we're trying to do something else that we thought nobody would know the history or the past. Guess what? It's recorded and it's still out there.
0: I remember a couple of years ago, I did a talk at a high school and this was, you know, when social media was, you know, big for the kids and they were in Snapchat and kind of doing that. And I said, look, you know what? When you're on social media and. be careful what you put up there with your friends and what you're doing. And, you know, if you're doing some drugs or anything along that line, I'm not here to judge you. Just don't put that up online. Right. Because again, when companies start to look at you later and they start to, you know, scrape your internet, right. Your social sites and kind of see who you are as a person, you know, what work you've done and they start to see these types of pictures, they might not hire you. Right. And it's not, they're going to tell you we don't hire that just that you won't get a call back. Yep. And all of a sudden you start going to kind of find out, well, why am I not horrible? Well, maybe it's because what you put online 10, 15, 20 years ago that now it's been seen and they don't want to take the chance because now you're a liability because, you know, they don't want that, you know, PR issue in their, in their company, right? Because you could cost them money if you do something that could cause the brand reputation or anything along that line. So it's a good point to kind of look at what you post online and like the longevity of it, right? Like you said, you might delete it but it could be cached somewhere else, right? And it only takes a few few minutes to be able to find someone's information that they've ever posted online.
1: Yeah, and I think of just the example, we are talking apps before. Think about FaceApp. Um, and that kind of had a roller coaster a number of years. A lot of users then it quieted off. And then again, with the FaceApp challenge with celebrities using the next thing you know, everybody's using it and they take a picture of themselves. How do I look when I'm older? Where do all those pictures end up? on a server who owns the company it's a russian company um what do they do with those photos i don't know where do they end up i don't know right. what do we use for future authentication with, with when we think about biometrics and, and things facial recognition so now there's a company that's russian-based that has a remote server probably with backups of it of millions and millions of people throughout the united states is face that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But when you download the face app, what do you do? You agree again in the terms and conditions. You allow them to have access to your contacts. You allow them to have access and to sell and use for marketing purposes, everything you type in your browser. So again, you're giving away the store just so you can take a stupid selfie of yourself and make yourself look older. That's the problem with some of the technology that everybody embraces and accepts. And that's the danger of our digital footprint, not just now, but I look forward to the future of, you know, authentication, where you walk into a room, a door unlocks, a light turns on based upon my face. That could all be ruined or compromised if we're giving it away right now. Dangerous.
0: Oh, for sure. No no doubt about it. So I'm going to a little, a uh, little pivot here. I know we've been talking a lot of great things when it comes to cybersecurity and a little bit more on the kind of the personal side and and, and looking at, you know, user base. But let's kind of pivot a little bit to the corporations, companies that might be listening to this as well. Because I know in the book, which is great, you talk about a lot of breaches, right? Different companies that got breached. Uh, and, you know, one thing that I've heard a lot about and talked a lot about is cybersecurity insurance right? You know, the transference of liability, you know, you kind of go, I've got everything set up, but I don't want to take responsibility. So I do transference and getting the cyber the cybersecurity insurance company, which is going to take care of the rest because I just can't afford it. I just don't want to invest in that. And they're going to do that. So what's a good thing to start out. If you're looking to get cybersecurity insurance, what should you do as a company first and foremost?
1: Well, I, I think the, the fundamental thing, and I share this with a lot of people and they kind of go like this, they they, they don't, understand fully and I always look at insurance. Insurance just helps us to kind of manage the risk a little bit and 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 to spread it out so you don't fold as a company. Um, When you get cybersecurity insurance first of all it's important look for an agent that understands it and can explain it to you and probably just as important realize that you as a corporation have to make sure that you follow carefully all the guidelines and put into practice the the, the the cyber initiatives, the things that they say, these are the best practice steps, and, and they'll make you aware of those, there should be a list of them, but now you actually practice them in your company. In other words, you can't just go buy cybersecurity insurance and yet use the old lazy habits of sticky notes with your password on the monitor. You have to protect personal information, your vendors information, credit card information, you have to make sure you're probably PCI compliant, if you're accepting credit cards, that you're shredding documents. A lot of times what companies do is they just look to, uh, cybersecurity is kind of complicated. I'll just go get insurance and I'm covered. That's not the approach to it. You have to do both. You have to kind of balance, look at the risks, ask yourself, what am I trying to protect in case it is compromised? What's it going to cost me? And uh, at the same time, educate yourself so you can improve your cyber stance so you will not get compromised and hacked. Or guess what? If there is a claim that's put in, the cyber insurance company is going to come in and say, wait a second, you said that you encrypt all this data. You said that you shred documents, but I see a pile of paper here with credit card information. Hold on a second. We're not going to honor this claim. And people don't realize that all the time. So they got to understand what is covered and what isn't covered. The other thing that I think From a cybersecurity perspective, probably number one on the list that small business owners, which have been targeted lately municipalities, hospitals, universities the fear of ransomware, the latest strain of ransomware what do I do? How do I prevent it? So on and so forth. When you have good cybersecurity insurance and you place that phone call, hopefully there's an agent there that could respond immediately and tell you steps what to do and what not to do. That's very important but they can also move in and they actually will take over. And now they'll actually negotiate. They're gonna keep a pot of X number of Bitcoins. So if a company is compromised, they're a victim of ransomware, their system's all locked up, it's encrypted, they can't access their data, the cyber insurance company is gonna jump in and they'll oftentimes negotiate with the hackers. While they're doing that, they're trying to see if they have the right strain identified so they can actually decrypt the ransomware and save you a bundle or they're going to try to go back to the hackers and say, Hey, look, you asked hundred thousand dollars. I'll give you $20,000 this afternoon in Bitcoins. If you give me the keys to decrypt this. So you, again, you have somebody on your side that's knowledgeable that will help you. It's a business model. The hackers are in business to steal your money. The cyber insurance company is in business not to pay out as much as they have to and to keep you whole so you keep paying those premiums. So understanding a little bit of the dynamics and getting the education in the world of cyber insurance, that will go a long way. But the the number one thing I tell everyone is, please make sure that you improve whatever your cyber posture is. Now you gotta up your game and make sure that your company is much stronger so that you won't be a victim of ransomware or any other compromise that that's going to be targeting towards you.
0: And I think and I, I want to hit that home because I, uh, I think people, I, and I hear it time and time again, is that I've, like you said, I have cybersecurity insurance or I'm getting in, I don't have to worry. And you made a great point is no, no, you ha- there's a checklist you have to go through. You have to do your due care and your due diligence, right? You have to make sure these systems are not just in place, but the patch management's there. They're up to date. You have someone manage them day in and day out and you have people monitoring them. Like you have all this in place that if, and when there is a compromise or a breach that when you go to the insurance company and make your claim and the, the auditor comes in to audit, what's going on. You can say, no, we did this. We did this. We did this. We're up to that. Talk to John. He's our, our IT and security guy. He's got everything in place. We're at the latest patches. We're at the latest updates. We've got the latest hardware. We've done everything we could. Right. And yeah, we still got breach. And, and, this, and the breach could happen to, like an example, you know, Joan, who's the admitted person, clicked on a link by accident and it ransomware went through. Could be something that happened that just that innocent. But again, as long as you do your due diligence, that's when the, security, the insurance company helps out. It's when you don't, right? You leave everything lax. Ah, uh, you know, I don't have to do these updates. Ah, uh, it's not that worried. I have insurance. Don't rely on, and my point is don't rely on like that. It's not a safety net, right? It's exactly. something to, in case of, you know, break glass.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And they're, they're not going to pay out the claim. That's the bottom line. And and if you ask your, your, your uh, insurer, they will plainly tell you, yeah, you, you got to do these things and make sure you do them. And hopefully they'll help you in the process or get someone in to educate you a little bit uh, we will work with other companies that, that will help you. I, I, we talked a little earlier before, before the interview about you know, vulnerability assessments, pen testing. That's something that I had done. It, it, it opens your eyes to find little areas within a corporation where there's weaknesses, where you need to shore up these areas so that you won't be a victim of, of hacking. And the same thing happens when you go to get cyber uh, security insurance suddenly your eyes are open and you start thinking a little bit more and, and you know, you're not stacking up that paper saying, Hey, I'm going to shred these one of these days, you're going to actually shred them. So it, it, it really tells you to, to kind of make this real and stop talking about it. And that's what we need. We need discipline. Unless you're a really disciplined person, cybersecurity is kind of a boring topic. A lot of people don't get excited about, it. I do personally, um, <laughs> you know, but not everybody does and I don't blame people. I can understand why people think it's boring, but if you can get that discipline down and kind of get excited that you're, 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 you're reinforced and nobody's gonna penetrate this now because I took a strong stance here, whatever the case may be, that's gonna go a long way and works very well with cybersecurity insurance.
0: Right, and that's, that's a great great point is that you, you, know, you do your best to harden your network and you know, have a strong posture. And you do your best. I mean, I think the hard thing about being in the cybersecurity field, and I love to kind of hear your point is this, is that you're always educating. You're always evolving. You're, you know, constantly trying to keep on the greatest, you know, the latest things. While you have 10, 15 different projects on the go, while, you know, there's potentially a breach and the pressure's all on you to fix it or your team or the people that you work with. So it is a hard career. It's a hard position to be in, but you have that fortitude, in my opinion, It's a great career. I mean, you can help a lot of people.
1: Yep, And you can, you can beat the bad guys and, uh, and it's not necessarily done with, uh, bullets and guns or or anything like that. It's, it's often done with computers and, and just the thinking and and being careful and stopping as it's one of the most common things we talked about just today is stop and think before you're too quick to click or do something else. Because oftentimes if you could stop, Reason on it, you won't make that mistake, and that's right. really important in the world of cybersecurity.
0: Yeah, I know, so true. Now, in the book, you talk about Ashley in Yahoo, um, the Marriott WannaCry, the Internet of of Strings, Equifax, Uber, Atoms. So you talk about a lot of breaches, you know, And we see more and more companies and large organizations that you know are are being breached. It's not, you know, it's not the small companies, it's not people that might not have a security posture, it's the big companies that have security postures, right? And they're doing a lot of great work, but are still getting compromised. What is one thing or a couple of things that you'd recommend for companies to kind of, you know, really look at for 2020, you know, to help to protect themselves and things that are really kind of the front runners, like, you know, you're looking at data is a huge, you know, topic coming up now. What is that for yourself when you're saying that we need to start to look at cybersecurity professionals?
1: Well, I think there's a couple things that when you look at a large organization, cybersecurity often goes back to the human element and the people problem. People are creatures of habit. They're going to do again. They're going to always migrate to what's convenient versus trying to do something secure. Um, It's going to snow outside. They're going to want to stay at home and work remotely they're probably not going to try to opt in and use two factor authentication for remote access. Yet when we analyze a lot of the breaches, how did the hackers get in? It was because somebody left the password around and they had basic login credentials to get in for JP Morgan when they were compromised years ago, remote access, um, the third party with the target breach back in 2013. Again, somebody's remote accessing the, the, the computer networks and they place some malware and they start working and stealing credit cards or stealing bank account information or whatever their goal is as a hacker, but it's usually to steal and monetize. So uh, I think again and again with larger organizations, you're gonna find there's levels of remote access. Some companies now uh, are telling me they're, they're trying to back off from that or they're trying to very carefully put things in place so it's super secure and they're educating the employees. So they take it seriously. Cause oftentimes the company will spend a lot of money. I mean, I look at JP Morgan years ago, probably one of the most secure banks in the world. They spend a lot of money each and every year to be secure. And, and yes, they, they, they are entrusted with a lot of people's assets and money, um, yet they were compromised. And what did they do right after that? They committed to saying, Hey, I'm gonna spend a half a billion dollars more to protect all these assets, to protect our clients' money. What does that tell you as a consumer, as a business owner? That's somebody you wanna work with that's not just satisfied where they are, but they're willing to spend more money to secure things, to keep your information, your money secure. Companies that are kind of complacent, if they're too small, that unfortunately they don't have enough money to spend and that's hard for banks, especially these days, as more and more banking is going online. I always look at a bank and I question, and again, I, I, had, I share some of the stuff and my frustrations in the book. What is secure anymore? No bank is 100% secure. I, that's, that's a fact. But you wanna analyze it and do your own homework and research and try to understand what type of provisions does that bank have in place how well are they willing to work with you for for, for the one bank i use um, they will not allow any online wire transfers to go out of my account that's the way i have it set up i have to go there in person and sign a document and prove i am who i am it's not convenient every time i got to do a wire transfer to buy something it's usually something international I got to get in the car, go down to the bank, have an appointment, pull out my license, fill out the paperwork. It may take a half hour to an hour. However, I know that nobody's going to be wire transferring any money out of my account. So again, well, let's let's talk that about security. that. Yeah. yeah, let's talk
0: about that because that actually is a security measure that you put in place because of the previous breach, right? Exactly. Right, and as you, if you're a business owner, and I want to add that, you know, the things that you're doing, the steps are not just you know, security measures that, you know, best practice and what you should do. These are measures that you put in place because you were breached and now you, you're you putting these in place so that doesn't happen again, yep. right? So I want to kind yeah. of put that out there for business owners because it's not just, you know, you're reading a book and you're kind of looking at the, you know, these policies and procedures and it's this frivolous thing that you have to do. You're actually talking about real world experiences that you went through and now you put in place because of what you experienced.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that that's really important because each business is is somewhat unique and again we all have different assets we're trying to protect within our organization and the personal information for our clients maybe for our company a lot of our algorithms and intellectual property that's the secret sauce that makes our company tick and allows us to get things patented and allows us to grow as a company and develop the latest and greatest technologies and innovation so it's real important for business owners and you could be a one person small business or you could be thousands of employees, doesn't really matter. It's very important to analyze what are you trying to protect because if you can do that effectively, it will help you when you go to get cybersecurity insurance, when you're trying to implement best practices within a company, or when you want to put some things in there like I did that maybe slow down a hacker. If any hacker wants to get into any account or any company, any network, they will succeed. If there's enough motivation for them, that I guarantee you, and however, time. slowing them down. That's the key.
0: It's, it's motivation and time, right? Cause I, yep. the one thing that, you know, we talk about in the cybersecurity industry is that you have, you know, The yin and yang of it—you have the guys are trying to protect the fort, and the guys are trying to break in. Well, the guys who are protecting the fort have policies, procedures, guidelines they have to follow. The ones that are not don't. So they have all the time in the world and all the tools in the world that they can use at their discretion, and and there's no rules and regulations, right? It's almost like a street fight in that that sense, right? There's no rules; they can do whatever they they can to get in. If it's social engineering, using some sort of tool, you know, malware, whatever that may be, they can use that. Now, we only have certain tools that we can use with the company policy and the governance and things that we have in place that we can protect the network and then the, the data and the employees and all that. So it's one of these kind of battles that we go through as security professionals. So you have to do your best. You have to do your due diligence. And I mentioned that in your due care you know, to the best of your ability, right? And then just keep growing, like you said, every year, try to improve your posture. Try to improve your posture, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, and, that, and to your point, I think that's very important what you stated. Don't just implement things and think, well, okay, I'm done dealing with cybersecurity. Now I'm going to go move on to business as usual. Cybersecurity is a constant battle of of a kind of, a, I always call it a, a you know a, a cat and mouse game. You're going back and forth. You're, you're thinking like the hacker. You're looking at what the latest vulnerabilities, weakness, what they're trying to exploit, and then balancing that out with action items. So you never want to just be complacent and say, "I got it." You want to keep upping it. Maybe it's adding, you know, from a physical security standpoint, you might add lights, motion detectors, you know, more cameras, uh, updating systems. That that we can see because it's more tangible. But we need to do things behind the scenes in the world of cybersecurity just as much so we can counter the cyber thieves to move on. Um, I I keep bringing back uh, shredding documents. To me, I find it fascinating how long shredders have been around, how low cost they are, how simple they are to operate, but people don't use them. I see again and again and again, they just throw things in the regular garbage. I share the example, I believe in one of the books there, um, I took a credit card and I simply cut it up and threw it in the garbage can. That was on a Friday night. Monday morning, I came in. Our building maintenance man pulls me outside. He goes, you got to check this out. On the curb was pieced together like a puzzle, my credit card. Fortunately, it was expired. I cut it up and a new one was issued. But somebody took the time to dumpster dive, go through my garbage, found a chopped up credit card, put it all together on the curb, most likely took a picture of it so they can go home online and try to shop or, or, or whatever and compromise the card or sell it on the dark web. I don't know that's scary. Right. So shred your credit card, shred documents with any type of information on it that's personal or associated to you and ma- make those hackers work and you have a much better chance to stay safe.
0: Well, the one thing I want to add to that with the credit card, make sure you cancel it and then you yeah. shred it, right? Like, don't Absolutely. just, don't just shred your credit card because you have an extra one you want to do. Actually cancel that credit card and shred it because what happens is like you said, shoulder surfing, dumpster diving, anything along that line. If anyone gets access to it, now you go through the hassle and, and uh, something that we really haven't talked about, but it's the hassle of going through that whole process of trying to recover, right? Oh. Talking to the credit card company or your bank and trying to recover. And it takes, you know, two to three weeks and they have to do an investigation. Sometimes they lock your accounts, right? And you don't have access to your money because they have to audit everything. You know, the transactions, are they valid or they're not? And then you have to wait. So now you potentially might not have a re- access to that, you know, financial institution for money. So maybe you have another bank account or whatever that may be you have access to, but maybe you don't. And I've heard people where they've got compromised and they they have bills they have to pay and they have to wait until this investigation's over. So make sure you, like you said, do your due diligence, make sure you, you know, cancel your card, then shred it and, and shred in proper shredder that it shreds up in minor pieces, not strings that can be put exactly. together. And there's- yeah, micro
1: cross cut. That's right. Very Exactly.
0: Important. And there's also for companies, there's actually companies out there that do shredding for you, right? Mm -hmm. They have services for you. So if you got a lot of paper documents, you're not green and you have a lot of paper documents, there's companies out there that will come and shred everything for you, including your hard drive. And that's, I was going to add that because I know one of the things you talked about is the battle over data, you know, destroying your hard drives properly. Right? Some people leave, and I've seen this in being in IT previously, is they'll leave their old computers or they'll take them to a recycling and it's just the full computer, RAM, their hard drive, everything's mm-hmm. there. So you can pull that hard drive and, you know, there's a lot of tools now that you can just recover the data, even if they've erased it or formatted the drive, you can recover it.
1: Yeah, and just to add to that, think about um, fax machine, copier and printer, same thing, There's there's memory in there you put it out to the curb, you bring it to the recycler, you run the risk of any document that you copied or was faxed in there, if it was you know, a, a payroll or credit card information, social security numbers, the whole gamut, that could be out there in the wild. So there's actually a, a, a market uh, for people buying old printers and things like that just to see if they could uh, steal information off it and compromise it and that, that's laying there dormant in the memory.
0: I worked with a colleague who talked about a printer that they went in, they were doing a pen test and they actually went through the printer's cash and they ended up printing the CEO's information and it was bank account information uh, is a state information, like everything they got and I was all the, C, uh, the CEO's information that I guess he was printing out to, to give it to his lawyer, whatever that may be. But they literally went through the cash of the printer and they did that and I know. Uh, years ago, I, I I went to HP in Canada and they were doing a security, uh, conference and talking about their new solutions and they were already seeing that this was an issue that printers one could be compromised and and malware could be installed and and that could be an access point and two the data on the actual printers copies and that could be accessed. So they're already looking that they did a whole, I don't know if you saw the YouTube videos, uh, the wolf.
1: Yeah. Did did you see that? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you saw like uh, the Wolf videos are going on on how they were compromising these devices.
1: Yeah, it shows you step-by-step step how easy it is to do. And uh, in fact, I did a, it's probably a year ago, I did a whole series of blogs on um, printer security and all the steps that people take. And, and it's amazing how easy hackers can really uh, use that to their advantage. It's something that the average person goes, what are you talking about? There's nothing in there. There's no hard drive. Guess what? you got memory in there, and it's very easy to access. And um, it, it, it's a problem that's not going away anytime soon. Fortunately, the newer generation of printers that are being designed, there's encryption in there, and there's some great improvements. But for, for the average small business that's got a network shared printer, they probably haven't upgraded in, in a number of years, and there's a lot of vulnerabilities in there. So think before you toss it.
0: Yeah, ex- exactly. And make sure it's destroyed properly. And then I mean, yeah. look at things like tools, like the, the golden image and all that. There's, there's, yeah. you know, things that now, like I saw with HP, where they have the golden image If anything's modified or, or changed on that printer, it'll actually reinstall. Right. And will go back to its own factory settings. So if any malware, or anything like that, it actually cleans it out. So they're doing their due diligence. I'm sure other Absolutely. printing companies like Xerox and all those guys are are doing the same thing. They're working on that. But like you said, Something to really look at, you know. You can't let any device go. Uh, and I think you mentioned you're talking about kind of the Internet of Strings, mm-hmm. talking about that for companies. You know, what's your thought about the Internet of you know things or strings, and all the devices now that are going to companies?
1: Well, I mean, there's a huge concern there. We've even got some tools that are used to measure and monitor the security if somebody brings in. Uh, wireless devices most of it will go back to the internet be it wired or wireless but more and more we are attracted to things that are wireless. I look at the nest in my home Mm -hmm. it's very common you you look at the ring doorbell you look at um, you know Bluetooth locks on your front door Uh, garage door the list goes on and on to the smart kitchen to the smart home We, we embrace these things these technologies and we love them And now it's starting to happen, what? It's coming into the businesses as well. So everywhere we go, billions upon billions of internet of things, devices are being plugged into the internet, but they're not always secure. Um, I I love the cameras myself. I've got a second home. I have a bunch of wireless cameras that I get alerts on my phone. I can pan, I can zoom, I can record, I can listen in. It's great. But again, how secure is it? So you have to find that balance constantly and ask yourself, is there anything that could be compromised based upon my location, based upon what's recorded here, what's listened into, what somebody's eavesdropping on me? Um, That's a decision that consumers need to make and business owners need to make before we just quickly plug into the internet. I always say, think before you just plug this device in because you don't know what the repercussions might be in the not-too-distant future.
0: Now, one thing I want to add to that is I'm finding like a lot of manufacturers now have to start, and it's up to the consumers now to kind of push the security side of that aspect, because, you know, we know that kind of the, you know, you study CISSP, it's uh, CIA confidentiality, data, like integrity, and then availability, while a lot of these, these you know, Internet of things are about availability it's accessibility. Oh you can be at your office and look at your kid in the nursery and at home and you can do this and you can check your door you can check your fridge and see what the inventory is and you have to buy milk on the way home like all this great accessibility mm-hmm. right and but when you look at confidentiality, these things are are low on the totem pole when it comes to the Internet of Things because they're looking at, Look how convenient this is. Look how accessible this is. Look how you can do that, you know, this thing from your mobile phone anywhere around the world. As long as you have an internet connection, you can connect to it. But we don't look at exactly what you're talking about is the security aspect. And I think it comes back to the consumers to say, no, no, I need this. I need a level of encryption. I need a level of security on this before I'll buy this, or I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to purchase it. And I think that will help. The manufacturers to kind of change that. Yeah, we have a great product, but now we we'll have to look at security. Yeah, definitely. All right. Because as we know, and as we're seeing, like, there's everything under the sun now, like, when it comes to internet of things from uh, lights everything. to heating to, you know, your thermostat to, like you said, you know, your door, your bringer on your door to the actual door camera, you name it. Like, there's so many things that you can connect that gets an IP address and has access to your network. Now, are they secure? That's something you have to do the investigation.
1: Yeah. And a, and a lot of it's closely tied into the cost of the device. Most of it's mass produced. Um, when something's mass produced, it's hard to spend a lot of money and bake security upfront. And, and that's just a fundamental problem with internet of things.
0: Right. No, so true, so true. Um, just trying to look through have a couple here show notes here now I, I noticed that one thing that was interesting to me I like to fly. You talk about airborne and and orbit, airborne threats and traveling, so talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of people you know are traveling, they get smart cars, they get all these devices now, and everything is but what's the security that we need to know and, and you know think about
1: Well, I think one thing that really kind of scared me recently my wife got a car and it had some miles on it and I was doing the Bluetooth syncing with it and I looked and I said, wow, there's 10 other people's phones in here. So I start drilling in a little bit deeper and suddenly I look and I say, wow, I've got all their contact information. So some people quickly rent a car or they lease a car and they sync their phone or phones or computers and everything else. And guess where a lot of that information resides on the car. We don't even realize it. And there's a lot of people that will use that to their advantage. So make sure that you wipe it, clean it out before you turn the keys back in. Um, Otherwise you're going to have problems. It's as simple as you turn a car and you program your garage door opener. And I've done that. You turn your car, make sure that you wipe it out. So the guy that gets the car next doesn't hunt you down, socially engineer you and open your garage, rob your house, little things like that. We have to constantly think about, with modern cars, when we're traveling, because w- what's the biggest weakness? It's it's wireless. It's all tied in to our smartphone, through our laptops, through our headphones, whatever we're using. If it's got wireless, it's going to be connected in there. And that could be the path where somebody uses against us.
0: Right. And I think one of the things I, I say at the end of my podcast is software's hackable, being connected is vulnerable, right? And you kind of prove that point right there is you know, we and then there's been several YouTube videos where they've actually shown people at other locations compromising a vehicle and driving it, turning on the lights, turning on the radio, turning up the heat, doing all that. So the smarter we get with cars and the great accessibility we get, now it comes down to these companies are doing it, but it takes time. Is now the security and then making sure it's patched and updated and so forth. But something that you brought up with that with you know when Absolutely. you're traveling and looking at smart cars is you got to be careful.
1: Definitely, yeah. I was reading this morning about somebody that turned a lease in on a Tesla, and they were able to go on their computer locate the new owner of this Tesla, and they were able to remotely start the Tesla. Still, so uh-huh. again, we have to think about when we're connected into these things with with apps that start our car and geolocation. Yet, when it's in our possession, it sure is convenient. But when we hand those keys in, you know, who else's hands is that now, and what access do they have? We don't know. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's it's just, it's one of those ages that we're in. We're so, we're so accessible to technology and all these great things. But again, you know, you need to have the mindset and I hate to, to do this to people. It's not like I don't want to put people in a fear state, but you have to be cautious of what you're buying and you have to be smart about taking the time to do your due diligence. People do reviews on safety, like, you know, for cars, you know, is it safe for our children? You know, if it potentially gets an accident But now part of your research has to be, is it secure? Is it technically secure? Can it be hacked? You know, what data and information is taking? Can I be tracked in my GPS? Like something that we talked about, and I used to do physical security years and years ago, is people's routines, right? They go to Starbucks at 9 a.m., right? They go to the office by, you know, 9.30. You know, they they lunch at, you know, this local restaurant. Then they're home, and then they go to the gym, and that's their routine from Monday to Thursday. Well, if you do that and you're posting on social media you're doing all that through day in and day out, also what's going to happen? If I'm someone that's a robber, I'll watch your social media and then I get to go shopping at your house Monday to Friday between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. because I know you're not going to be home. Right. So, you know, you got to be safe on what information you're letting being collected and the routines and everything you're doing. So just kind of that is very important to take a look at. Now, I know with your book, you do a lot of talks and presentations, and I have a couple questions for, just for myself, is, you know, when you're doing your talks and presentations, what's the feedback you're getting from your
1: audience? Well, I get some great feedback, and usually just about every presentation, I have a Q&A session, either during or after, um, and I think the parts that kind of intrigue me the most is, what topics do they want to hear more about, or do they ask the most questions about? Probably the last uh, 10, 15 presentations I've done, there's some commonality. People wanna learn more about skimmers, uh, gas pump skimmers, ATM skimmers, how they can keep their credit cards safe, which is nice because we provide products that allow um, law enforcement to detect and remove the skimmers. So that's always exciting. So I get to share a lot of different stories and and the technology that hackers use and cyber criminals use uh, to try to steal our credit cards. The other so area that so you, let me ask okay. you about
0: that first before you yeah. move on. So talk about skimmers. So yeah. uh, they're the devices that go on top of like a bank machine, like a credit card, like a, a debit machine, or, you know, a, at a gas station, right? Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we think about gas pump, uh, the big problem with the millions of gas pumps out there is that there's about six common keys to open up any of the gas pumps that give, the hackers, the cyber criminals access to the point of sale where our, our credit card goes in. What they simply do is put a skimmer in there. And what a skimmer really is, is it's another read head that reads the magnetic stripe on the back of your card. So even if you think that, Oh, well, I've got a new chip and pin credit card that I'm buying gas with, guess what? It still probably has a Mac stripe on the back. So when your cards inserted in the machine, a skimmer with a second head will read that track one and track two data and get your credit card information, they can then take that, go home, the thieves, and burn a new card and go shopping your name. The problem is old school skimmers used to be something that you could physically see or you could see the machine was altered. So there's kind of a misconception in the industry, jiggle the plastic bezel and if it's loose, there's probably a skimmer in there. That's true a number of years ago. Now more and more cyber criminals are going inside the machine, they open it up, and they place a Bluetooth skimmer in there and there's a connector that plugs into the top of where the credit card is accepted. They go back and lock the machine. Takes less than 15 seconds and they're in business. What's the advantage of that? From a cyber criminal's perspective, they don't have to go back inside the machine ever again. They're getting power to the Bluetooth skimmer. Every time a card's put in there, a copy of it gets stored in memory and then the criminal pulls up within 75 foot proximity and can now download all those stolen credit cards, go home, burn them, and again, they're in business. So huge, huge problem. As fast as they're removing skimmers, more skimmers are being put in. So it's, again, a cat and mouse game going on. We developed a unique tool, it's called a Blue Sleuth, which is coupled with a direction-finding antenna, and we have the ability to alert the users, law enforcement, or national weights and measures, or the station owners, Immediately, if a Bluetooth skimmer is inside of the gas pump and we can hone in on it with our direction antenna and look at the signal strength increase as we get closer to the target and they can quickly remove those skimmers. So it's a really effective tool and the problem is unbelievable. It's estimated billions of dollars in credit card fraud are the result of just skimmers being put in gas pumps the corollary to that is, is the ATMs. The top of the ATM, there's common keys for each manufacturer. So you could change the paper and this and that and have access to it. The bottom is very secure because there's a safe that holds all the money in an ATM. There's not much security at the top. Well, the bad guys, cyber criminals go into the top. And again, they place Bluetooth skimmers inside there, lock the ATMs and take off. And again, they're compromising your credit card, or debit card information. And if it's debit card often they'll tie that in with a tiny Bluetooth pinhole camera that as you enter in your secret code, they just recorded it with their pinhole camera, barely discernible at, at most ATM locations, unless you really look around carefully. So in both those worlds, stealing of credit cards and debit cards are unbelievable. So people always ask me, well, what do you recommend? Don't use a debit card. Uh, don't use a credit card. Be careful where you use it. Um, Be very suspicious about it. And where you can use digital wallets, uh, Google Pay or Apple Pay, that's what I recommend. I use Apple Pay.
0: Hey Scott. Yeah, just just a second. Your your audio cut out. Do you do you have a battery on your? Yeah. Yeah. Just one second. Yeah, I think your your battery cut out
1: how was that do you hear me now yeah there you go (laughs) sorry about that
0: no not a problem yeah so that, so you were saying about the, the, uh, the readers?
1: Uh, yes. I'm trying to remember where I was there. The readers So yeah, you're just
0: saying it was, e- it's easy for the bank machines to be able to compromise with the.
1: Oh yeah. The, the top of the bank machines. You can easily, the, each manufacturer has common keys, just like the gas pump analogy where they could open it up. They use it for changing the paper, this and that. And then they will put a Bluetooth skimmer in there as well. Plug right. it right in, wire it into all the wire mess so it's hard to, to discern it. And they'll tie that in with a pinhole camera so they could actually see what code you type in as far as the debit card there. And uh, it, it, one, one tip I always share with everyone, if you do use a debit card, cover just put your hand over. It's the most simple technique and yet 99% of the people don't do it. When you're entering your code, simply cup your hand over. It's the most effective way that you won't lose your code or it won't be compromised from a pinhole camera on an ATM machine. Um, I've looked at some of the cameras. It's amazing how they could blend it in to the cracks of the machine, the bezels of the machine. Um, And and it's just, they're vulnerable. They're low-cost machines. There's not a lot of security. Most people that maintain the routes of ATMs, they may own dozens or hundreds of ATMs. They just can't keep up with adding levels of security there to keep people safe. Um, so I don't use a debit card. I prefer getting cash or using Apple pay if I had to make my choice.
0: Okay. No, that's good to know. And then you said there's other feedback from the audience.
1: Uh, Yeah. The other, the other area that I get, um, a lot lately, probably mostly in the past six months or so (coughs) is, um, the dark web. The dark web to me is fascinating. Um, I do a lot of research there in in hopes of finding compromised cards and accounts, identity theft, everything resides in the dark web. And a lot of the investigative pieces that I've done, I share that and a lot of the people are contacted and that way they could cancel their credit card or uh, alert their bank that there might be money taken out of their account, whatever the case may be. Um, and and the dark web in essence, if people aren't familiar with it, if you compare the surface web where we all, you know, go on Google, we do a quick search or whatever, there's another spot down below in a sense that's the dark web. And these are sites that are unindexed because you can find things and do a query in Google and it finds it very quickly. The dark web, imagine say it's 10,000 websites and they're at a unique location and they can sell things, you can buy things there, it could be forms. That's where a lot of the stolen information ends up on the dark web. Doesn't mean the whole dark web is evil and bad, because it's not, but a good portion of cyber criminals use the dark web to do whatever they want, to buy and sell illicit drugs and guns and prostitution, and guess what, our compromised credit card information. So if you look at all the big breaches, all that information ends up on the dark web. So you hear all this and you say, well, what am I gonna do about it? What's important, what you can do about it, and this is where I get really excited, I'm working closely with a company called Cyberlytica. They perform dark web audits. And you've probably heard about this on TV, a couple companies are starting to do it. But, but what's most important, the way I like Cyberlytica does it is, you provide them your email, they dive down constantly, they monitor the dark web for you. And if there's an alert and your email is associated to a compromise, like say LinkedIn's compromised, you know, a hundred thousand emails and passwords and everything are compromised. You get an instant alert. And what does that tell you to do? Go to your LinkedIn account and change that password. Cause that password, you know, is compromised. That's very powerful. Uh, for somebody to do that on their own and try to find their own information on the dark web, it's not gonna happen. Because again, there's not really search engines that we're used to in the world of the surface web. Um, It takes a little bit more of a a techie understanding to find different locations for websites, to get different access to it. Um, So I don't think the average user is gonna do that, but using a company like CyberLytica, I think it's really good. I've done some tests with them and when I present, I often um, offer, it's it's simply a a free uh, email scan to let them get a sense of what the reports look like. And you use a promo code hacked again, and it allows you to do it for free just to try it out and see if you like it. I do it regularly, have all my emails scanned and I've probably got typically about five to six breaches every quarter that I find my emails are compromised on. That's scary because There's that many breaches that we don't know about. There's other sites out there too. Have you been pawned or have I been pawned and a few others that are some freebie things that you could do as well. But it's good to check to see if any of your information does end up down on the dark web so you can be proactive and update your passwords.
0: And I think one thing I'll add to is if you don't have an IT background, I mean, don't really play around with the dark web because you know, You don't know actually sometimes what's available, what you're clicking on. There could be malware. There could be all that. Like there are traps out there too. So, sure. you know, you know, use the company like uh, Scott just recommended, CyberLytics, and, and and contact them and have them do the deep dive and do some information and research for you. Yeah, you know, if you don't really have knowledge of the dark web and how to work around it, then I would recommend yeah getting get a professional to help you with that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Now, uh, was there any other feedback that you were getting from
1: your audience? Well, those are the the two main things that I've heard multiple times. They wanna learn more about the dark web, how to stay safe. Um, I think that's just fundamental and they wanna learn more about skimmers and then kind of the evolution of skimmers. What's the future look like? Which I I find kind of fascinating. I think uh, there are a number of, of cellular skimmers that have kind of appeared in the wild where they actually take a cellular module, just like our phone, and associate a phone number to the skimmer, which seems really stupid because law enforcement can then trace its way back to the actual cyber criminal, but they're starting to appear. So if you think about it, you could be on a, a beach in um, you know, the Bahamas, sipping a pina colada, collecting credit cards, and you could have that credit card sent to you a cellular modem, through the cellular WAN, wide area network, pretty amazing technology that the hackers are using. And I think that's kind of the element I'm learning more and more, even though people are fundamentally the problem in the world of cybersecurity, hackers do a fabulous job of sharing information, sharing it through videos, training, online forms in the dark web. There's a rich wealth of information that they freely share how to hack and how to steal money. And yet, if we look at the good guys, law enforcement and the government and everything else, we don't do a great job of educating and sharing as we should. Right. So the more information that's out there, great shows like yours, what I'm trying to do too, is educating people to, to, you know, cyber best practices and awareness that gives everybody a fighting chance, but more has to be done for sure.
0: For sure. And I totally agree with that. Now, I know you've got you've got a lot on your plate. I mean, we were talking just before the show. You're running your business. You're doing talks and presentations. And the news is constantly asking about your insight of kind of what's going on with cybersecurity breaches. You know, you've wrote two books. You know, do you have anything else that's coming up? Anything coming up for 2020?
1: Uh, absolutely. I've been working nonstop. Uh, book number three, uh, Senior Cyber. It's going to be coming out later in 2020. Uh, dealing a lot, trying to just educate friends and family and I'm noticing one area that uh, cyber criminals are really targeting and it's the seniors, the elderly, they're a little more naive, they're a little innocent more innocent. they're, They're a little more trusting than certain generations. And I'm trying to provide some very high level practical tips. Yes, the fonts bigger, so it's easier to read, but these are action items that seniors can take so they can feel comfortable using mobile devices, going on the internet and and being safe and not feeling um, like they're going to be victimized. And I dive into some different phone scams, email scams, phishing attacks, a whole wealth of information. But again, I try to to share it in a very simple format that doesn't make them feel that they're, they have no power and they shouldn't use technology. Hopefully they can feel empowered and they can embrace technology and they can enjoy the internet and everything else about it and not feel like they're gonna be scammed. So it's been fun doing all the research on it. I talk to a lot of individuals and try to get the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that helps me to understand uh, what uh, what the research so I can write about it intelligently and that people can take action. They get tips they could walk away with and they could really benefit from. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, It's a little bit different for me because I'm used to talking to more uh, businesses, small businesses, and sometimes consumer. So it's it's kind of a new niche that I'm trying to to carve out and help as many people as I possibly can.
0: No, it's good. I mean, like you said, you know, it's one, you know, demographic that has been compromised frequently when there's social engineering attacks, yeah. you know, the robocalls, things like that. And I think from my experience, a lot of times uh the older generation has this a uh, respect for authority, respect yes. for, you know professional. So if it's supposedly a doctor calling, it's the CRA, it's a police officer, you know, it's someone that's a company, you know, executive from a company, we need your information. A lot of times because of their generation, it's it, okay, it's them, you know, if it's it's my doctor's calling, then I got to give them the information versus uh, my doctor doesn't normally call me. Uh, normally they tell me to come in and have a, have an appointment, right? Why is he asking for all this information over the phone? Right. And things like that where I've talked to several senior citizens and, and listened to the psychology behind it of, mm-hmm. but it's just it's that they're the professional. Why wouldn't I answer them? What did you ask questions? But no, you don't ask them questions. They're the professional. You you answer their questions. And it's like, oh, uh, I get it now. It's just because of the where they're raised that, you know, when someone of, of authority asks you questions, you answer them. the younger generation now we're a little bit more skeptical right are you really a police officer are you really a doctor hold on validate what you're who you are let's see right and and i mean in this day and age of being connected it's something that we have to do
1: yeah yeah in fact i even even share that kind of a similar analogy talking about the telephone and when older people had to embrace the telephone that was something new and shocking a long time ago Um, yet somebody elderly, it's natural. And when the phone rings, nine out of 10 times somebody older will always pick their phone up and say, hello, may I help you? somebody younger, they won't touch a telephone at home. They don't even know what it is. They have a smartphone. They don't look at it. They just look at the caller ID or they text. So different generations handle technology very different. And so if you look at a lot of the phone scams, the IRS and, uh, you know, AARP and a lot of the other ones that are going on out there, call spoofing, robocalls, they're all targeting elderly because they're they're inclined to pick up the phone, answer it and divulge information just innocently.
0: Now, one thing I also wanted to add to that, there are, you know, I'm finding is elderly as well as I- immigrants, people that yeah. are new to the country and I've talked to a few, you know, smart people, educated people, but like even for us, like I've talked to a few where the CRA scam. Well, they didn't know CRA didn't have, you know, a police division. But how, and how would they know? Like, they didn't do their, you know, due diligence and research on each, you know, department of the government and different agencies. They, how would they know? And when talking to the person, it was a very highly educated person. They said, look, I just assumed, like, I didn't want to get in trouble by the law enforcement. I didn't know what I did. So I was going through that process until I spoke to some. I said, you know, hold on. And I, I called someone and asked them. And sure enough, they told me to hang up, but it wasn't until then. But their first experience was, oh, my God, yes, I'm in trouble, right? Not, okay, hold on, this is a scam, right? Because they just didn't know. it's, it's not. And I want to be very clear, it's not the point that, you know, they're not educated people. It's just sometimes when you go to different countries, you might not know their systems and their policies and their government and their structures, right? So sometimes you have to learn that. And if you're doing this, right? be more careful and cautious than, than provide, right? If you're, you're not sure you, like you talked about before, we're not sure one of two things. One, I always recommend, you know, see who's calling you, hang up, call the company directly, you I'm know, direct. do a Google search, find CRAs, find the bank, find the people and call mm-hmm. them and say, were you looking for me? I just got a call. Right. And if it is them, they'll say, yeah, okay. Yeah. We have a record and you know, we need X, we need this information. If not, then you know it's a scam,
1: yeah. right? And there's a lot of them out there, that's for sure.
0: Too many. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Guy. I know we talked yeah. a, about a lot of information yeah, thank covered. you for
1: the time. Really oh. enjoyed it. Great oh, good. nice in interview.
0: <laughs> well, it's good, you know, to, to talk about these things and provide more value and information as we, we go through this industry because, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we connect with people, the more we're able to help people, companies, you know, employees of companies, you know, people that are just are using this technology. So thank you so much for your time, Scott. And I mean, I highly recommend guys, if you're looking at, you know, information about just cybersecurity and kind of the, the background story, hacked again is a really great book to read and it's a great resource. And then cybersecurity is for everybody's business. I highly recommend any business owner grab this, but like, no matter where you are in your business, if you're a solo entrepreneur to like a CEO of a company, just take a read of it and and see. There's a lot of great insight just to kind of give you what's going on past, present, and then some future some future thinking. So I highly recommend you grab these books. And then yeah, now your senior citizen book. Um, I can't I can't wait. I love to read it.
1: Yep, I'll definitely get your copy once it's out.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott. So I'm going to finish off there. Uh, you know, we've talked about a lot, cover a lot of great information. If you want to check out Scott, uh, you can go to www.scottschober.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-S-C-H-O-B-E-R.com. It's going to be in the description in the show notes below. Uh, he's got a whole bunch of so- social media sites, Twitter, LinkedIn. So you can check him on there, uh, Instagram. I know, Scott, you have a podcast. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I have a little segment, what keeps you up at night where I it's about a two, three minute segment and I share uh different cyber experts, what their cyber fear is and, and they kind of open up and share their fears with me and a fun little segment and we have a great time with it.
0: Now can they find that on your website?
1: Yeah, you find it on my website. They're all listed there or go on YouTube. There's a, a dedicated YouTube channel I have there and uh, I probably got at least uh, 40 to 50 episodes that are already up there, and I got more coming out soon. So it's kind of a fun segment and it's short, and, uh, and you learn a lot in the process. So each segment, just try a little takeaway you learn.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, guys, check out Scott. A lot of great information. He's really kind of a leader in the, the cybersecurity field, helping people stay protected. So I'm going to end the podcast there, this Daily Cyber. Thank you so much. And I just want to remind you guys, don't forget, software is hackle, being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you next Daily Cyber.